Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, In Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy is uh, where we get the title of our series from. And in Deuteronomy 15, the Lord says, You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand and lend to him generously whatever he may need. And what this means is that there's a connection between our heart and our hand, that these two things are linked. And when my hand is open, my heart is soft and it looks like God's. And when my heart is hard, my hand is closed. And so when we live open-handedly and we learn how to bless and help others, it's amazing what God will do in our lives. And so I want to take an opportunity to show you how good it is to be a blessing to somebody today. And so um, I got a new friend that I'm going to meet today. Uh, Come on up. And uh, Ricky, I think the mic down there. Hi, how are you today? My name's Mel. What's your name? My name is Khalid. Khalid, great to meet you. Come on over here. Khalid, I'm glad you're here today. Um, and uh, you probably didn't expect to be standing up here on this stage, did you? I don't know. <laughs> sorry. Well, listen. Yeah, a little bit speak English, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I just want you to know I'm glad you're here. And what we're doing as a church is we want to find opportunities to bless people. And so what is the biggest tip you've ever gotten, Khalid? The tip? The biggest tip. Big? Mm-hmm. No, almost 20, 50. Okay. Well, okay, well, good. Um, well, I, I want you to know, in our previous service, our 9 a.m. service, we collected some money for you for a tip. So thank you for oh, delivering okay. this, thank and you. we want to bless you today. So... Uh, my wife is going to bring this up. This is for you. Let me put some more in there. This is for you and for your family, and we just want to bless you and say thank you. Um, if you don't mind me asking, where are you from? Palestine. Okay, yes. Palestine. So, uh, uh, if what, what what religion are you? Palestine, Gaza Strip. No, I no, live here. But what's your faith? Are, are you are you Christian? Are you Muslim? Muslim. Or? Muslim. Yeah, awesome. I'm Muslim. <laughs> well, good. Well, I just want you to know. We love you. We love your family. We're so yeah. glad you're here. And uh, we want to bless you with this as your tip. So we want to we give this to you just to honor you. But is it okay if I pray for you and your family? Yeah. Okay. Well, if you would, you guys, you feel free to stretch your hands out and, uh, and agree with me. Tell me your first name one more time. Khalid. Khalid. Okay. Yeah. Well, agree with me for Khalid and his family. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Khalid. Welcome. I, I pray that you'd bless him, God. I pray that you bless his family. I pray that you would minister in them. God, I pray that you would give them favor. Lord, I pray that you would use these finances to be a blessing to them during this season. Lord, I pray that you'd help them find their place here in the United States. I pray that you would direct their path. And God, I pray that you would uh, shine light into them, God. I pray that you minister into them, God. I pray that you'd send the right people their way to, to minister and help and direct them. So God, thank you for what you're doing in Khalid. Thank you for what you're doing in this family. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that your truth would reign in him, that you would just glorify yourself through him. And uh, God, I pray today would be a great day for him, that you would use this as evidence of your love and your mercy in his life. So God, have your way with Khalid, with his family, and I pray that you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank Khalid, God. thank you so much. Nice God you. bless you. We appreciate you. Ryan, just stick around. Keep playing, my man. So I got Chipotle. What am I supposed to do with this? Kim's lunch. Okay. Now some of you cheated and you watched service last night. And you knew what we were going to do today. And you're thinking, wait a second, we didn't get to do anything. Tough. Because we just gave from the 9 o'clock. 
they couldn't get a delivery person here during the nine o'clock service. So Khalid, he won the lottery and there was probably close to a thousand dollars in that bucket for a tip for him. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Are we good? We're not done though. Now it's your turn. So do we have, uh, is my pizza here? Chipotle came too quick, the pizza's coming too slow. I don't know about that. They are here, right? Okay. They sequestered them so they wouldn't see what just happened. Tell them to take their time, we're good. We don't have anything else going on. Come on in, Ricky. much. Hey, how are you? Good. I'm doing well. My name's Mel. What's your name? Oh, Mike. Mike, good to meet you, man. Nice to meet so you, you deliver for Romeos. I do. How, how long have you been doing that? Oh, for about 16 years. Awesome. Yeah, a long time. Very good. <laughs> well, good. Um, so you've been driving long enough that I'm sure you've encountered some, some good uh, some pretty good um, clients or, you know, people that were taking care of you, maybe some regulars you get to know after a while. Is that right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let me ask you a question. What's the best tip you've ever gotten? The best tip? Um, uh, probably, well, actually, the best is probably like maybe around $90. $90? Um, but that was like a massive order. It was like $800. Oh, okay. Yeah. So really a $90 tip on an $800 order is not that great. <laughs> right? Did you tell them that when you showed up? You're like, here's your $800 worth of pizza. And you yeah, get this. No, <laughs> yeah. no, I was, no, I, I, it was good. It was good. Okay. Okay, good. Um, so if, if you don't mind, I'm just totally putting you on the spot, Mike. Um, so um, just tell, do you have a family, wife, kids, anything like that? Um, no, not, no kids, no, no girlfriend right now. Just, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, mom, dad, grandparents. Yeah. Okay, um, so what we're doing as a church, we're in a series on generosity. And what we're wanting to do is just bless people. <laughs> and today, um, we're, we're talking about what does it mean to be radically generous. And so what we've been doing this weekend is bringing in delivery drivers and just, just blessing them, giving them the best tip they've ever gotten. And so my, my feeling is you'll probably get better than a $90 tip today, but we'd like to tip you. But is there anything going on in your life or anything that you're like, man, this would really help if I got a decent tip or it would really help be able to do this or pay this off or help with this bill or whatever it might be? Oh yeah, I mean, always like while doing this job. Mm -hmm. The car expenses definitely, uh, mm -hmm. you know, run pretty heavy sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Okay. It's a little difficult, but yeah, yeah, it definitely would help out. Okay. Well, this is what we'd like to do. We just want to tip you and uh, say thank you. And so what I'm going to ask you to do as a church right now is to, we're going to give Mike the best tip he's ever gotten in his entire life. We're going to blow $90 out of the water. <laughs> and, and I want you to help. And this is why I told you last week, bring some cash next week. Uh, we're going to bless somebody. We're going to be radically generous. And so what I would like you to do is I'd like you to 
fish out your cash, figure out what you're gonna do. And I want you to just come it up and put it right up here on this box and we're gonna bless Mike with it. But I'm gonna pray over it before, before you come. And then when I say amen, feel free, just get out of your seat, you come up and sit it right up here on this table and we're gonna bless Mike. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've given us. God, we know that you've blessed us to be a blessing. So God, I pray as we release these finances today and we put it on this box as a tip for Mike, God, I pray that we would be releasing seed into good soil, that it would produce a harvest in Mike's life, that God, he would see uh, your goodness and your kindness at action and at work. The Lord, he would recognize how good you really are because you're the one who's blessing, it's not us. We don't get the credit. So God, I pray as we bless him today, God, I pray that he would walk in that abundant blessing, that he would see how good you are and he would experience that. So God, I pray that you would bless it and multiply it in his life. And I pray that we would walk in blessing as well as we, as we attempt to be a blessing to others. So God, have your way with both the gift and the giver today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Here, if you don't mind, step over here with me. Mike, what do you think about that? I don't know what to say. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. I don't think anybody.
anybody's ever going to top this tip, I guess. <laughs> you know what? I hope they do. I hope they do. I hope somebody does. Now, now, let me ask you a question. Obviously, you don't know how much money's here. I'm guessing it's pretty significant. But uh, what, what do you think you, you're going to do with this? You'd mentioned maybe maintenance on your car or something like that. Do you have anything that you feel like, man, I might have an opportunity to do or help with Christmas or anything like that? Um, I mean, honestly, I know a few people also that I could help out with this. That's cool. That's cool. Well, good. Well, I just want you to know, uh, we want to bless you with no strings attached. Um, if I don't ever see you again, you never come to this church, that's not what this is about. We just want to bless you, let you know that we love you, and we appreciate the work you do, and, and God loves you. And uh, if, if it's okay, can, can we just pray for you? Because uh, we want to bless you financially, but we would love to just bless you by praying for you as well. Is that all right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you'd like us to pray with you about? Not off the top of my head, but okay. just say uh, No problem, no problem. If you don't mind, why don't you just stretch your hand toward Mike and we're gonna agree in prayer over him. Heavenly Father, thank you for Mike. Thank you for the purposes and plans you have for his life. God, thank you that, uh, that God, he's been faithful to his job for 16 years. And Lord, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for the opportunity he has to encourage people in his, in his job when he runs into people, when he delivers pizzas, when he connects with them. And God, I pray that you would make him a light. God, that you would use him to encourage others that maybe don't have anyone else encouraging them. God, I pray that you would uh, use him to be a blessing. Encourage him, God, right now in that he is doing a good job, that you do have a purpose and plan for him and, and he's walking in that. So God, I pray you'd anoint him, bless him, cover him. God, I pray that this, this would not be the biggest tip he ever gets. God, I pray that you would send bigger tips his way. I pray that you provide for him financially, bless him in every way. Lord, I pray that you bless his vehicle and the maintenance on it, that he'd be uh, longer lasting than he expects. Lord, I pray that you'd give him better clients and better tips than he expects. God, I pray that you bless his health, bless his relationship with his family and friends, and I pray that you would use him to be an encouragement and a blessing to people around him. Thank you so much for bringing Mike to us today. Thank you for letting us be a blessing to him, and thank you for blessing us so that we could be a blessing to him. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Mike, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you. God bless you. Have a good day today. Thank you. Isn't that fun? I get to preach now, by the way. But today we're going to talk about uh, what does it look like for us to be an extravagant giver. So if you've been here over the last few weeks, we've been talking about generosity. And what we've challenged you to do is take a step in your generosity, no matter where you may be at in this ladder. So maybe you've never given before to the Summit Church. We'd love for you to take a step and say, hey, I'm going to become a first-time giver. Maybe you've given, but you've never given uh, again after that. We want you to become an occasional giver from time to time. When you've got some money in your pocket, drop it in the offering box. Whenever you think about it, uh, text the amount in on your mobile device, uh, but then if you're here, we want you to take a step and become an intentional giver. An intentional giver says, uh, hey, I'm going to give a couple times a month. Or every time I get paid, I'm going to give something to the church. I'm going to trust God in that way. If you're here, we'd love for you to take a step and become a proportional giver. A proportional giver is someone who says, I'm going to give a percentage of my income back to God. I'm going to trust him with that. Now, if you are here last week, we talked about the tithe, 10%, because that is the amount that God blesses. God says that's kind of the minimum in the law that I can bless. And that's a proportional giver. And then an 
extravagant giver is someone who says, I don't care what the minimum standard is. Uh, I want to give because God has given me so much. This is where at Summit Church we talk about radical generosity, and that's really the way we want our church to live. We want you to live in radically generous ways. What we did here today for Mike was radically generous. What we did uh, last night, last night was so awesome. We're going to put all the stories together on a video and share with you because they were so cool to see how we were blessing and how we were helping, and that is radically generous. That is way beyond what's expected. It's way beyond what is normal. And there's a family in our church. Um, you know what? I'm going to save the video for a little bit. Tech team, I'm going to save the video because we just had a couple of illustrations right there. Um, and there's families in our church that grow in their generosity like this. And I want you to see a story about the Applemans. We're going to show that in just a little bit. But I want to jump into my message today. And we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this, and this is a passage I read a few weeks ago. It says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, and these are the churches at Philippi, Berea, and Thessaloniki. And he says, In the midst of very severe trial, they were being persecuted because of their faith. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Extreme here for extreme poverty, the Greek word actually means down to the depth poverty. So the, the Macedonian churches were being persecuted for their faith, for what they believed, and uh, they, were, they were down to the bottom poverty, rock bottom poor. They were dirt poor, as we might put it in our culture today. They had no money at all, but it says that in the midst of their severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. So in spite of their poverty, their rock bottom, dirt poor poverty, they still were able to be generous. It says in verse three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectation. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So the church in Jerusalem was struggling. They, they um, didn't have the resources they needed to do what they needed to do. And so the other churches were coming together to help them. And the Macedonian churches, uh, the Berean church, the Philippian church, and uh, the church at Thessaloniki, they said, we're going to help even though we're dirt poor. We want to help. They begged their leaders to be able to help someone else because they understood what God had done for them. So they were responding with generosity. It says they, in verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. And I'm going to tell you three things about extravagant giving today. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first thing is this. Extravagant giving will exceed what is expected. Um, when Mike walked in today, I don't know what he was expecting, but he probably wasn't expecting that he was going to walk out with $800 or $1,000. But he did. And what happened? We gave extravagantly. We exceeded expectations. We were able to bless him. We were able to make a difference in his life. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you and I were a part of that because we exceeded expectations. In Luke chapter 19, there's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, maybe you know Zacchaeus. Maybe you grew up singing the song about Zacchaeus. Does anybody remember the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted. We're not going to sing the rest of it. But when I was a kid, I loved this because Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And as a kid, you are a wee little person, right? And I thought, this guy was just like me. Little did I know, he was not. Zacchaeus was hated by the other Jews. So he was a Jewish man who represented the Roman government as a tax collector to the Jews. So he defrauded Jewish people in order to line his own pocket, and he represented the Romans. And the Romans were viewed as an occupying force. So they were hated by the Jews, and by default, 
They hated Zacchaeus because he was a tax collector. He robbed his own people. He represented the Romans. And so when I sang the song about wee little man, I just thought he was cool because he was little. And little did I know that uh, he was hated. He was, he was a turncoat and he was despised by his own people. And so Zacchaeus, hears Jesus coming to town. He climbs up in a tree so he can see Jesus because of his small stature. Jesus is coming by and he thinks he's just going to see Jesus. Little does he know that Jesus is coming to see him. And he says to him, Hey, Zacchaeus, you need to come down from the tree. I'm coming to stay at your house. And the religious leaders, they freaked out because Zacchaeus was a sinner. He was not a great guy. He was, uh, he was not of the same ilk they were. And yet Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to go spend time with this man. Let me, let me have, take a side note here for just a moment. Um, what was the first delivery driver's name? Khalid. Everybody remembers but me. Khalid. Khalid. We brought a Muslim into this church. On this stage, we blessed him in the name of Jesus, prayed for him in the name of Jesus. There are some churches that would not have happened because they'd go, he's not like us. Oh, we can't, we can't pray for him. We can't bless him. What's he going to do with the money? That's not up to us. We're going to bless him in the name of Jesus. We're going to release it. And we're going to believe that that seed that's going to be planted in his heart that his family's gonna be transformed and changed because we're willing to spend some time with some people that maybe other people wouldn't, that religious people wouldn't. Jesus was wired this way. Jesus said, I'm gonna spend some time with some sinners because they're they're the people who need me the most. So Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And so Jesus shows up to Zacchaeus' house, and this is what it says in Luke chapter 19, verse eight. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I love this. What we see here is Zacchaeus, he's Jewish, he understands the law. And the law, Jewish law says that if you've defrauded someone, you have to pay back what you've stolen plus 20%. That's your penalty. And Zacchaeus, understanding the law, says, hey, I'm not going to pay back what I stole plus 20%. I'm going to pay back four times what I stole. So whatever I took from someone, I'm paying it back four times. And not only that, but I'm going to give half of all my possessions away to the poor. And tax collectors were wealthy. That's one of the reasons they were despised by Jews is because they were, they were wealthy. Uh, and they made their profits illicitly, stealing money from people. And so he said, I'm going to take all that I've got, I'm going to give away half of it, even the portion that I didn't steal, I'm going to give away half of it to the poor. Now you look at this, and this is a radically generous gift. He didn't have to do this. The expectation under the law was that he'd give what he stole plus 20%, but he said, that's not enough. I'm going to do more. He wasn't even expected to give away half of his wealth to the poor, but he did anyway. Why would he do that? And this is the only thing I can surmise. It doesn't say it explicitly in Scripture, but I have to believe that his encounter with Jesus, when Jesus showed up in, in Zacchaeus' house, that he, the encounter was so profound, it touched him so deeply, it changed him so dramatically that he said, I was heading in this direction, I was selfish, I was self-centered, all the money was about me, and he said, but then Jesus showed up. And everything turned around, and I headed in the other direction. That's, the literal, that's the literally what the word repentance means, is to turn into the other direction. And his life was so dramatically changed, he didn't say, what's the minimum standard according to the law? I'm going to give that. 
I'm gonna fulfill the law. He said, no, 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 I wanna do more than the law. Why? Because Jesus had touched him so profoundly. His life was changed so dramatically that he said, it's not enough for me to do the minimum standard. It's not enough for me to do just simply what is expected because radical generosity will always exceed what is expected. And he said, I wanna give more. And this is a response from his heart. Now listen to what Jesus said. Today salvation has come to this house. I want you to know something. Jesus wasn't responding to his generosity and saying, hey, because you're so generous, you, you get to go to heaven. Good for you. Because our money cannot buy salvation. It does not matter how big the check is, it will not purchase your salvation. I'm happy to take your check no matter how big it is, but it's not gonna get you to heaven. It's gonna help us do a bunch of good things, but that's not going to buy your salvation. And so what Jesus is saying is not a response to, hey, because you gave, now you can go to heaven. What he understands is this, that the generous response doesn't earn him salvation, but it's evidence of his salvation. He says, this is the way believers should act. Believers should be radically generous. And this is fruit of what he believes. Because of this conversion, because of his salvation, he responds this way. This is fruit of the salvation in his life, the experience with Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, the, the first century church, the, right after the birth of the church, what we see is Jesus died, he resurrected, <clears throat> uh, he spent 40 days on earth interacting with people, and then he ascended into heaven. He was taken into heaven. And before he's ascended into heaven, he gives instructions. He says, hey, go and wait in the upper room for the comforter that I'm going to send. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said, uh, they wait on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, he baptizes them, in his power and his authority, and they begin preaching the gospel. Things are just <clears throat> crazy going on. Thousands of people are being saved. People are being healed. All kinds of cool stuff is happening. And this is the birth of the church, the beginning of the church. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, <clears throat> it says, And they devoted themselves, talking about the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, <clears throat> this is the end game. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's why we do this. We don't have church just so we can have another program. You can have something to do on the weekends so we can feel better, so we can sing some songs. No, it's about seeing people added to the kingdom day by day. Every time we meet together, we're seeing people saved. In your life, you're seeing people saved as you connect with them relationally. That's what the belief is. That's what our, our purpose and our goal is. How does that happen? We, it happens by us sharing our lives together, by us breaking bread together, by us worshiping together, by us uh, sharing the word of God together. But there's another part of this. It says in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now I want you to know something. I'm not advocating that we all sell our stuff and pool our resources and go buy 800 acres out in the middle of nowhere and we can have a commune there and we'll grow our own food and I can be our prophet out there because that is a Dateline NBC episode waiting to happen. The neighbor said, you know, I never expected anything weird was going on over there, but I'm Chris Matthews. Like I could see that happening, right? That's not what I'm talking about. 
But what was going on in the first century church is they said this. They said, man, my brother's got a need. And they didn't go, man, somebody should do something about that. They said, I should do something about that. Man, they, they got medical debt they can't pay, and it's putting them in a bad place. Man, somebody should call the church. The church needs to do something about that. And do you know what I say to that? I agree. Do you know why I can say that? Because you are the church. The church is not this building. It's not this, this corporation. It's not me. I'm part of the church, but you're part of the church too. And so when we say the church should do something, do you know what we're really saying? I, as part of the church, should probably do something. The first century church got this. They understood it. So they would say, man, my brother's in need. They can't pay their bills. Man, they can't pay their rent this much. They lost their job. What can I do about that? You know what? I, I got a four-wheeler I could sell. And I'm going to sell that four-wheeler. I'm going to pay their rent this month. You know what? Man, they've got, they've got school, back to schools coming up. And this family, they can't afford clothes or school supplies for their kids. You know what? Let's, let's dip into our, our savings and let's, let's take care of this family. Let's bless this family. That's what was going on in the first century church. Now, when we talk about it in our context today, it sounds a little absurd. It sounds radical, doesn't it? But what we see in the first century church is this wasn't the exception to the rule. This was the rule. This is normal for them. This wasn't, this wasn't extravagant in their context. That's just what they did. And I guess my question to you is, what if, what if we began to live our lives that way? What if we simply said, there's a need around me. God, what are you asking me to do about that need? How, how can I be the answer to their prayer? God, what can you make possible with what I have in my hand? Because I think that's what God wants to do. It's... It, it's interesting to me that the first century church understood that and they lived that way. And for us today, it seems so abnormal to, to live open-handedly with our brothers and sisters, to look at the needs around us and shrug our shoulders and go, well, somebody should do something about that. If anybody is going to be generous in our world, it should be Christians because we understand what God has done for us. If there's ever going to be good tippers, in restaurants locally, it should be Summit Church. We should be the best tippers anywhere because we understand what it means to be generous. We understand what it means to live open-handedly. If there's ever someone in our community who's looking for a church, my hope is that they would look at Summit Church first, not because we're the best, but because we're so generous. They know, man, those people are gonna love me, they're gonna take care of me, and if I'm ever in need, I know there's gonna be people who rally around me and come alongside me because what the first century church was doing was normal to them. It wasn't out of the ordinary. But, but what I know is this, extravagant giving will exceed what is expected. The second thing is this, extravagant giving will exceed what is affordable. There's been times in my life, and I'm sure in your life, where I've said something like, I can't afford that. And it's healthy for us to say this whenever we've made a plan and we've got a budget and we've, we're looking forward to something. So if me and my family, we wanted to go to Disney World next summer, and we said, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to save money. Okay, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to eat out less. We're going to, you know, be careful about how many trips we make into Pittsburgh to watch our gas money. We're going to save money. And that's what we're going to do. So decisions would come our way and we'd say, nope, we can't afford that. And what we're saying is, I'm choosing not to spend money on this because I'd rather spend money on that, is what I'm saying. I'm being a good steward. But so many times in our own personal finances, what happens is when, we, when it comes to the things of God or it comes to the church or it comes to missionaries, we go, oh, I can't afford to give. 
And what we're essentially saying is, I'm, I'm choosing to give to this instead of that. I'm making a choice about where I'm spending my money. And there's never going to be enough if that's our heart and our mindset. There's never gonna be a time when we say, well, now I can start giving. Now I've got enough money I can give. Um, it, it's always going to be a sacrifice. It's always going to be a challenge. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, I read this verse to you earlier. It says, for I testified that they gave as, mu uh, as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So Paul says, hey, the, the Macedonian churches gave to the limit of their ability and then beyond their ability. They gave sacrificially, beyond what they could afford. They did that because they loved to give. And, and I've said this a few weeks ago, I want to repeat it today. We'll never change the world with our spare time and our spare money. Sacrifice is the key that opens the door to transformation. Um, there's a, a family in our church, I mentioned them earlier, I want to show a video of their generosity journey, what it looked like for them to take the steps that we're talking about to get to the place where they can really trust God with their finances. Take a look at Colton and Rachel's story this morning. So growing up, both of us really held on to our money. We actually met when we were 14, working at McDonald's because we both wanted to start working. Um, and then when we got together and got married, we still gave because we felt called to give some money, but it was like a couple dollars in the plate, or um, we put like a five in the envelope, and that was a lot for us. If you would have asked me two years ago or a year ago if we would ever tithe, I probably would have laughed in your face, because it just, like when I did the numbers and it was 10%, that was an immense amount of money, and I didn't really, I viewed it as mine, not God's, and one Sunday, uh, Pastor Kim prayed over the offering, and she said uh, about how your finances are the one area that God says to test me, and just allow him to show you what he can do. There was just something about the fact that, like, either you're going to trust God or you're not going to trust God for me, and so I talked to Rachel uh, one day, and I decided that we should go all in and give the full 10%. And then he asked me to do financial peace with him um, through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, and I really didn't want to. I was already signed up for another small group, um, but he really emphasized, like, this is a major point in our marriage where we need to be on the same page with money. And of course I resisted because I didn't want to be on the same page. I wanted to use our money for the things that I wanted. Um, but we talked about it more and I decided this is a major area that I need to sacrifice to God and surrender to Him. So we agreed to do financial peace. And the benefits that we got from that has been absolutely amazing. After starting to give, Rachel um, took a decrease in pay all the way down to uh, stopping work uh, entirely to finish school, uh, but we knew we could continue to trust God um, with our finances, and in that, He blessed me with a promotion at my job. Our income seemed to stay the same, even though we now had half of an income, um, and it just sometimes is really unbelievable what God can do. Since we started tithing, I would say it's definitely changed our heart's desires to to serve more and be more involved and connected to the Summit family. Um, and just seeing how 
things that God does and when we only gave a little bit and not real not really feeling like we were a part of what God was doing at Summit and now like we know the things that we contribute like it is making an impact and we're a part of that and we get to see uh, the impact God's having in Summit and around the world and in Indiana um, and it's just really cool to be a part of that. I love Colton and Rachel's story. Did you notice what he said? He said, we, uh, as soon as we started to give, her hours were cut. She lost her job, right? Her, it's like, we like to hear the stories where we say, hey, I started giving and I got a check in the mail or I started giving and I got this and this and this. But sometimes we start giving and it doesn't change our income, but what it does is it changes our heart so that we can navigate some of those seasons a little better. And I love their heart, and I love to see what God's doing in the Appleman's life uh, because they understand, hey, it's gonna take some sacrifice to do what God's called us to do, but if you ask them today, is it worth it? They'd say, absolutely, 100% it's worth it to, to sacrifice some of what we have to see God glorified. And there's a reason that in, in many instances in Scripture, the word for sacrifice is the word that's used to describe our giving. Because it is a sacrifice. It has to be sacrificial. We can't separate sacrifice from the biblical principle of giving. It's, it's impossible. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, uh, David had led the nation of Israel into sin. And they were being punished by God. And he wanted to offer a sacrifice. And so he went to uh, the, the, the land of this man named Arona. And Arona, um, he, he had a, a threshing floor. So there's lots of wood. Big, it was a big constructed building, and he had cattle, and he was going to offer a burnt sacrifice. He was going to buy it from Arona and, and use this to bring glory to God. And he's on his way, and Arona sees him, and he meets him on the way. Can, can you imagine if, if I showed up at your house today, just unexpected, just bing bong, you're like, oh my gosh, it's Pastor Mel. Oh, oh, and you're like, clean it up, put that away. We don't want him to see that, whatever it is, like you're doing your stuff, right? You're like, honey, can we invite you? He's not coming in this house the way this looks right now. I didn't have time, you know. And so you meet me on the porch. Hey, Pastor Mel. I was like, hey, just wanted to come say hi. And you're like, oh, hey, you know what? Let's just visit on the porch. It's 12 degrees. You're like, yeah, but it's a balmy 12 degrees. It's comfortable, right? <laughs> but if you saw me coming, it might make you a little nervous. Uh, and when Arona sees David coming, I'm sure he's a little nervous. And he goes to him, he says, King, King, what, am, what are you doing here? What, what do I owe this pleasure? And he says, hey, I'm here to offer burnt sacrifice. And I want to I I buy your oxen. I want to buy your threshing floor and, and use that. And Arona goes, no, 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 King. It's, it's my gift to you. I want to bless you with it. It's yours to have. And then the king responds in verse 24. And he says, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer a burnt offering to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. What David said is, I'm not going to give my spare to God. I'm not going to give him my leftovers. I want to give him something that cost me something. I want to, he is so worthy of everything I am and everything I have that I want it to cost me something. That's what he's worth. So he says, I want it to be sacrificial. And God honored him and God blessed him for that. Some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. Uh, he's a famous Christian author. 
Uh, he wrote uh, the, the, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia series. Uh, he's written a number of theological books as well. One of his most famous books of all time is a book called Mere Christianity. And I just want to warn you, I'm not the most intelligent guy in the world, but I've got to read some of his stuff a couple times for it to make sense to me. And there's a passage from his book, Mere Christianity, I want to read to you today. And this is what it says. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, and amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charity expenditures exclude them. And I'll be honest with you, when I read that, that punched me in the gut. Because what he's saying is, we should, we should be so generous with the Lord, with the church, with nonprofits, that our charity, our charitable giving, impacts some of the things we can do when it comes to comfort or entertainment or hobbies. And that is not the norm in the world we live in today, but it should be for Christians. Christians should live a life of sacrifice to bring glory to God because extravagant giving will exceed what is affordable. The third and final thing is this. Extravagant giving will exceed what is needed. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul was an itinerant minister, so he, he survived on the support primarily of churches. Uh, he also would work. He was a tent maker, but, but churches supported him in his efforts to plant churches. And he says in Philippians 4, 18, he's telling the Philippian church, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, who is the planter of the Philippian church, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So what he's saying is, hey, church, the, the money you said you would send, you sent the full payment and more. You've exceeded what was expected. You've exceeded what was even needed. I needed this amount, but you gave me more than what I needed. Thank you so much for that. We see that the Philippian church was generous. Uh, we see in the book of Exodus, chapter 36, Moses was attempting to, to build the tabernacle. And so he called on the nation of Israel. He said, bring your gold, bring your silver, and I'm going to hire craftsmen, and they're going to help fabricate this material into a tabernacle for the Lord that's fitting for the Lord. And so he called on the nation of Israel to bring in their, their earrings and their rings and their gold and their silver so that they could use that to, to create a dwelling place for God. And it says in verse 5 of Exodus 36, the craftsmen came and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough to, for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the, for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Can you imagine any pastor in America saying, please stop giving? Some of you are like, I would like to attend that church. <laughs> Here's the deal. Every good church in America that I've ever known, their vision outpaces their resources. God has given them a big vision, and they don't have the resources to fulfill that vision. And I've told pastors that I've coached and worked with, I've told them, you need, you need to have enough vision that if somebody walked in your office and said, I'm going to write a $5 million check, what would you do with it? That you already have it planned out. Your vision is there. That you can say, here's what we would do. And I'll be honest with you. I know what I would do with $5 million. So if you're thinking about writing a check, I'm delighted to have a conversation with you today. 
But what they said is, hey, stop giving. We don't even know what we're going to do. We've, we've done everything we're supposed to do, and then some, so just hang on to your money. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a day? Listen, think about this. Can you imagine a day where you come to church? We go, guys, i got an announcement for you. I'm so excited. I want you to know something. All of our debt is paid off. And not only is all of our debt paid off, we've, we've built churches all around our area in, in communities that need churches like ours. So we've, we've, we've saturated this region. We've fully funded all of our missionaries. We, we've eradicated poverty in Indiana County. Our church has been responsible for that. We've made sure there's no homeless people in Indiana County. We've taken care of every hungry child in Indiana County. We've made sure that we've done everything God's asked us to do. And I'll be honest with you, we're out of vision. We've done everything God's asked us to do. So you know what? Don't, don't bring any more money in because we don't even know what we're going to do with what we've got. How incredible would that be? Do you, do you think there's any chance that maybe there would be people who would come to know Christ because they see our generosity at work? Because they see us practically love them and serve them and help them? What would that be like if we all just said, God, what can you make possible with what I have in my hand? God, how do you want me to be extravagantly generous? How do you want me to take that step? So the people were restrained from bringing. I, I, I dream about the day that I have to restrain you from bringing any more. No, 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 don't bring any more. I would love to have that conversation with you. But until the day that the, the resources meets the vision, we're just not there yet. But I dream about that. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling a story. It's a parable, and he tells a couple of them back to back. Verse 44 of Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. See, what these stories are about are people that can identify value in something that other people miss. See, this first man, he finds this field, and there's a treasure in the field. And he discovers it, and he realizes this field is worth a fortune, but nobody realizes it because it's a buried treasure. So he reburies it, and he goes and sells everything he has. It says he joyfully sells everything he has. He lays down everything he's got because he knows it's worth the trade-off. And then you've got this merchant, and he finds this one pearl of great price, this one that's valuable above any other pearl, and he's glad to sell everything he's got just to buy this pearl because he recognizes the value. And this is what I'm telling you today, that Jesus says, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven. And if we will understand how valuable the kingdom of heaven is, it would not be a sacrifice for us at all to say, God, I'm... I'm laying it all down. God, I'm gonna live open-handedly with everything I am, everything I have, every dollar in my account, every talent I've got, every breath in my being, it is yours. Because we recognize the value of the kingdom of heaven. We will lay it all down, we'll give it all up because we know it is worth it. On planet Earth today, over three billion people survive on less than $2 a day. About 20% of the world's population, over 1.2 billion people, live on less than $1 a day. So almost, by almost any standard, Americans are wealthy. Even the poorest people 
for the most part, are still wealthier than most people throughout the world. So if you're here today and you go, Mel, I'm poor, I understand that. I'm not going to argue with you about it. But what statistics say is if you have two cars at your house that you own, you're in the top 3% of wealth in the world. So understand this. We are blessed to be a blessing. God did not bless us to make us more comfortable. He did not bless us so we could have more hobbies. God blessed us so that we can be a blessing to the world we live, so that we can be extravagant givers in whatever way that looks. I hesitated to, to share this passage with you because I felt like the tone is a little too dark, but I feel like it's important. So, so I wanna share this with you. This is from John, James chapter five, and it says this. Look here, you rich people. And when he says rich people, he's talking about people who depend on their wealth. It's not necessarily how much they've got in their account. It's about them saying, hey, if I just had $5,000 more, my life would be set. If I just had 10000 if I could just get that. It's all about the pursuit of wealth. That's where our security is. That's where our peace is. That's where our joy is. He says, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure that you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. That's a heavy one. <laughs> that is not the one that we go, hooray, and we all leave cheering, right? What is this saying? It's a caution against us trusting our wealth. It's a caution against how we invest our wealth. If you remember a few weeks ago, I shared a passage with you. This is where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. It's talking about when we treasure heavenly things rather than earthly things, there's a future and a hope for us in that. And what this is talking about is treasuring things on earth that can be moth-eaten, that can be corroded. And this last line is haunting for us. It says, this corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Now what we see in scripture is there are two judgments for believers. There is one to judge whether we are a believer or unbeliever. This is the separation of the goats and the sheep. This is where, um, this is where if we have made a confession of Christ as our Lord and we are in relationship with him, then we are ushered into heaven. And this is where if we're not, then we spend eternity in hell. So that's the first judgment. The second judgment is for believers. This is where we'll be judged according to our works and how we lived our lives. And this is the judgment that we're talking about here, that our wealth will testify against us. Um, I, I like, I like uh, shows like Law and Order, you know, courtroom scene, and it's always dramatic when they have a surprise witness. They come in and they testify. And this is what I'm imagining when I look at this verse and I'm imagining, <clears throat> I'm imagining me sitting there as the defendant <clears throat> and they call a witness and it's my wealth. And my wealth literally testifies against me of the ways I didn't leverage it for God's glory, of the ways I spent it selfishly, foolishly, that it testifies against me on the day of judgment. And that can feel condemning, but I, I want to I flip that. I believe that our wealth will testify for us as well. Because there's ways we can use what God has given us to leverage for his kingdom and for his glory. And I can imagine us sitting 
at our seat as a defendant. And they say, I want to call a witness. And the witness comes in, it's maybe a little girl, and she walks up to the witness stand. And the little girl says, I never met this person before, but I lived in a village in Haiti, and Summit Church sponsored my village. And because they sponsored my village, I, I had clean drinking water, and I had education. I learned about Jesus Christ. So I want to testify to this person, who they were and how they leveraged their wealth. I can imagine a man coming in and sitting down and saying, hey, I want to testify. I was a compassion child. And they supported me. I never met this person in, per, in, in real life, but they supported me financially as a compassion child, and I was able to go to college. I was able to hear the gospel. I surrendered my life to Christ because this person gave. I think about missionaries. I think about ministries that we support and that we partner with. I think about all the ways that we can give sacrificially to the people around us. And there's going to be a day that our wealth will testify for us or against us on the day of judgment. And I'm not trying to scare you into being generous. That is the worst strategy for generosity ever. What I want you to do is I want you to understand this is not just about dollars and cents. It's about souls. It's about people's eternities. And we have an opportunity to make an investment in people's destinies, in their forevers, that will make a difference. But our spare money and our spare time won't make the difference. It's going to take sacrifice. See, extravagant giving will exceed what's expected, what is affordable, and what is needed. My challenge to you today is quite simple. Will you become uncomfortable for the glory of God? Will you sacrifice for the glory of God? Will you open your ear and open your heart to the Lord and do whatever he asks you to do? Because maybe it's not even a financial sacrifice he's asking you to make. Maybe he's asking you to lay down your job and move overseas and become a missionary. Maybe he's asking you to, to quit your job and go back to seminary and maybe become a pastor. Maybe he's asking you to, to find a place in this church to serve. Maybe he's asking you to take a pay cut so that you can do what you're really passionate about. I don't know what it is, but what I'm asking you to do is to say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want from me, I'm yours. Whatever you ask me to give, whether it's my life, whether it's my finances, my talent, whatever it is, God, it's yours. I'm going to live open-handedly today. I'm not asking you for this. I'm inviting you to this. God's got this for us. As much fun as it was, and by the way, Mike was standing up here on stage with me. And I don't know if you could see it. He's getting teary-eyed standing here with me. But I saw a number of you that were walking up here, and you were teary-eyed. You don't even know Mike. But what I see in you is that it's fun to give. It's fun to live in that place where we're giving extravagantly, unexpectedly, above what's expected, above what is into all these things. It's fun to do that, and we can live our lives like that. And that's what I'm inviting you into today. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son for us to pay the price, the penalty for our sins. God, we acknowledge that if that's all you ever did for us, that would be enough. But God, you've given us so much. You've held nothing back from us. God, every good gift we have in our life is because you have graced us with it. So God, thank you. Thank you for breath in our lungs. Thank you for families. Thank you for friends. Thank you for church. Thank you for our jobs. Thank you for homes. Thank you for everything you've given us. God, we acknowledge it's a gift from you. God, I pray today, Lord, you would stir our hearts. I pray that you would help us see 
that, that this is not a compulsion to give. This is not manipulation. But God, you are inviting us into this opportunity to be an extravagant giver, to be radically generous with the world we live, to take the steps we need to take to show your generosity to the people around us. So God, I pray for the believers that are here. I pray that you'd help them take whatever step they need to take in generosity. Help them begin to love people well. Help them begin to serve people well with no strings attached. Help them to look for opportunities to be the answer to prayers that are being prayed all around them. God, I pray for those that are here that aren't in relationship with you. They've never surrendered their life. Let today be the day that they make you Lord, that they surrender themselves to you and they understand that in this trade-off, they are going to end up better off, that they're not giving up anything, but they are getting something in this trade. So Lord, as we surrender ourselves to you today, fully and wholly, help us see that, that yes, we are selling everything we have, but we're getting something valuable in return. This pearl of great price, this field with a buried treasure. So God, I pray that you help us walk in this God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you. Let today be the day. So God, have your way among us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, what you described is me. I'm not walking with God. I've never really surrendered my life to him or made him first in my life, but today I wanna, I wanna surrender it all to him. I wanna make him Lord. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you forward. I'm just gonna pray with you right where you're at. So if you would, I would love for you just to acknowledge that today and say, Mel, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life by stretching your hand up real high where I can see it. You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you on my right. One, two, three hands on my right. Yeah, thank you. Center section, thank you so much. Yeah, two, three hands in the center section. Thank you on my left, I see you. Yeah, up in the balcony, I see you. Praise God, praise God. Yeah, thank you on my right, I see you. Yeah, thank you, I see you over here on my right. You can put your hand down, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Anyone else, just a few more seconds. Heavenly Father, we love you and I'm thankful for the people that responded today. God, I pray that the prayer we're about to pray together would be sealed in our hearts. God, I pray that, that the decision we're making today would transform everything from this point forward. So have your way with those that are responding right now. Now I want every person in this place to pray this prayer with me, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to pray this boldly. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you gave Jesus, your only son, to pay the penalty for my sin. From this day forward, use my life for your glory. I'm living open-handedly with everything I have and everything I am. It is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> if you prayed that prayer with us today, I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you, and I cannot wait to see what God's going to do in your life. I would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So the simplest thing for you to do is to take the card that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. If you would fill out the side of the card that says salvation, and when we finish here in just a moment, take it to our information center, give it to them, and they're gonna give you a free Bible and help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us today, we wanna help you as well. So if you would, text the word salvation to the number 555-888, and we're gonna help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can begin to connect with and grow in your faith. So thank you for worshiping with us today. I just want you to know, let me think, 15, 
14, 18. 18 people this weekend responded for salvation in Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. So I just want you to know, God is up to something good. How in the world do I preach about giving and 18 people get saved? That's the Holy Spirit, that's God at work. So thank you for being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and responding. Thank you for being generous with uh, Khalid and with, uh, with Mike today, and last night, Matt and Haley. Do me a favor, be praying for all four of them and that this week as they come to your mind, be praying for Matt and Mike and Khalid and Haley, that God will bless them. And, uh, and I believe that what we did is planted seed in their lives and we're gonna see a harvest from that someday. Here's what's gonna happen right now. I'm gonna pray a final prayer over you before dismissed. And while I'm praying for you, our prayer team's gonna come up and they'll be standing right here at the front of this room. And, and if you need prayer for any reason, when we're done praying, you come forward and you find one of our prayer team members and let them agree with you in prayer. And if you feel like God is through with you when we finish praying, feel free to be dismissed. But I wanna encourage you, if, if God is done with you, uh, please, please just leave reverently so that you don't disrupt what God's doing at the front of this room. And if you just wanna stick around and pray, you wanna sit in your seat or just come kneel at the front of this room, feel free to do that as well. So let me pray over you and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for all you've done in us and in this church this weekend. Thank you for 18 people who said yes to you. God, we celebrate that as the ultimate miracle. And God, we give you glory for that. God, I thank you for, for Matt and Mike and Khalid and Haley, that God, you brought them into our path this weekend. And God, I believe you wanna bless them, you wanna work in them, you wanna minister in them. So God, I just pray you bless them this week. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would bring their experience back to their memory, help them see how good you really are. God, I pray for every person in this place as we walk out of this room. God, I pray that we would walk in your abundant blessing, that God, we would carry your glory with us, that we would share it with the people we come into contact with, not for us, but for you. So let people marvel at our generosity because we can point back to you and say, you are a good God, that you are generous with us. So God, I pray that all praise would terminate with you, that God, we would be a light, but we'd be able to point people to the light. So Lord, have your way with every man, woman, child in this place. Be glorified through their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you soon. God bless you.